0: This week I've got Sebastian DeWitt to talk about iPhone cameras, and you certainly know a lot about them. I'm really excited to have you here. Awesome. It's great to be here. And I know you from doing the Halide app, which is one of my favorite uh, sort of manual, slightly more professional options for shooting on my iPhone. But um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself in general? Like what's your background? How did you get into developing an iPhone camera app?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. Um, So I'm a Dutch guy. Uh, living in San Francisco now. Uh, moved to the U.S. about 10 years ago. And at the time, I was just a designer. I used to do graphic design and user interface design. Worked at Apple for a little bit doing interface design.
0: I want to ask more about that. But... <laughs> uh,
1: and then I uh, actually went to a company that made only Android and Windows software. It was just kind of a total break. And uh, that's actually when I kind of got into photography. Bought my first like semi-professional camera. I got a Canon 5D Mark II quickly fell in love with cheap vintage manual lenses like the Russian kind and eBay for 30 bucks and I was toying around with that and I just really really started falling in love with photography and it wasn't until a little under two years ago when my friend Ben actually reached out to me and he's a great developer he used to
0: do development of the Twitter apps oops and for anyone listening that wasn't your phone that was uh, the podcast <laughs>
1: sorry beginner's mistake just got a new <laughs> a new iphone 10s and I hadn't put it on mute yet yeah he reached out to me and uh said hey there's these really cool new apis apple just announced uh we can actually do manual photography and i know you are just as a big of an enthusiast about photography as i am and do uh, you want to
0: help build it and uh not much later, Halide was born. Awesome. So that was when they announced RAW support. That's, is that when it got started? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which was a big change. I was really excited for that. In the end, personally, I ended up not shooting RAW that often. I, I think because when I want a large photo, I often reach for my bigger camera. So the, the, the only times I'll end up shooting RAW on my phone are when I'm sort of stuck in a situation and I know this. I want this photo to be great. And for some reason, I don't have a bigger camera around. So for me, a lot of the time, I use yours to explore what the phone is really doing. A lot of the time, there's so much auto magic going on inside of the Apple app that it's hard to really figure out what it's doing versus what I'm doing, and you know, where does the HDR begin and my exposure settings end? (laughs) So uh, you know, being able to fully override that stuff is really important sometimes. And and there's just other moments where. It'll start making decisions I just don't agree with. And that's when it's always helpful to launch something a little bit more professional. But all of that seems to have given you a bit of a window into what's been going on with the updates to the iPhone XS and XS Max. And I reached out to you after reading your, your really great article on, on Medium today, which went into some of the details of what's going on there. I don't want to frame this conversation around uh, you know BeautyGate because I think everybody's going to have forgotten about it by this time. Uh, <laughs> you know, Hopefully this conversation will outlast the yearly scandal about Apple that's not really a scandal. But I think it, it was really helpful for you to add some real insight to the conversation about what's, what's actually happening here. Why do people think that there is a beauty filter being added to their selfie cameras? And we can lead that into the bigger conversation about what the camera's doing. Because I think it's doing a lot of really interesting things and this is just the start.
1: Yeah, totally. And it's it's super interesting, right? Because I actually always really appreciate Apple's general attitude towards, I would say, faithfulness. So when you look at classically how they've done screen design, for instance, their displays have always been very color accurate. They say like we could oversaturate them to make them look better to the average Joe, so to speak. But that's just not how we want to do things. We want to do things the right way. So when I first saw this thing come out, uh, I was actually on an anniversary trip when the iPhone XS came out, so I couldn't immediately test it. When I saw this sort of controversy brewing about, yeah, beauty gate or like you know just like skin smoothing stuff, I was like, ah, oh, that doesn't sound like something Apple would do. I I really doubt that the camera people at Apple would ship that as a sort of a default feature because it just it seems to just run against their general philosophy about building stuff. So checking it out more, I found. For one, the first thing I really noticed using the 10s was just how aggressively it is doing exposure merging. So you can see even with, before you take a photo in your viewfinder, you can see that there's a lot more dynamic range. And it's pretty clear that it's not just the sensor that is picking all that up. It's the phone very rapidly grabbing brighter and darker frames and, and taking the, the highlight and shadow information from that. So it creates one image for you that shows you just great recovery in highlights and shadows.
0: When I was looking around online, I thought it was really interesting that all these samples, almost everybody's sample was in a poorly lit situation where they're, say, sitting... It looks like they're sitting in front of a computer. And there's tons of these. Just, you know, if you Google BeautyGate, the results that come up, everybody's commenting on how smooth the skin looks. But then if you look in the background, everybody's got all this extra dynamic range in all of the excess <laughs> photos and nobody's talking about it. It's like, look, your, your other room isn't blown out anymore. We can see what's going on. And then in the iPhone 10 example, it's, it's completely white and there's no data in the image. And so it's kind of this like unreported story happening in the exact same photos.
1: Yeah, totally. And that's, that's that's sort of what what clued it off. you know it's it's this really heavy, extremely impressive, really uh, high dynamic range feature that simply takes a lot of photos. And when we found out, which is what we're probably going to get into later in more detail, but what we found out as a camera app on the iPhone, is that the whole camera now behaves a little differently. so it tends to prefer doing faster shots. With faster shutter speeds and slightly higher sensitivity to compensate for these faster shutter speeds. And in doing so, it gets a bit more noise. So it has to simply apply more and more aggressive noise reduction. And that is what people see, especially in poorly lit computer rooms as they take a casual selfie for the first time, probably with unfavorable lighting conditions. And they think, oh, man, it's smoothing out all this detail in my skin. But the detail was never there. What the front-facing camera sees is probably mostly just noise, and it's trying to compensate for that. So when I put, like, a lemon in front of it, a poorly lit lemon, (laughs) the lemon, too, gets kind of smoothed out. And it's not because there's a lemon beauty filter on the iPhone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I saw a few people even talking about, in some relatively big Mac sites, who we generally favorably speak of Apple were saying that it looks like there's face detection happening. And when it sees a face, that's when it adds the smoothing. And like, that sounds really un Apple like, you know, I, yeah. I've had Samsung phones. I've had LG phones where there is, you know, real face smoothing and, and it, it's much more extreme than this. It does not look like this. It's, it's right, a very different right. effect.
1: It would be kind of a bad face smoothing if it was. And if the funny thing is, and that's what kind of throws a lot of people off, there, there is facial detection going on. If you point, especially if you point the camera, at the, the, the front facing camera at your face, hmm. you might even see the lighting change a little bit because when it does detect facial landmarks, it adjusts the white balance. It starts to try and optimize for better skin tones. So logically, people assumed, oh, that must be one and the same thing. It's seeing a face. My face now looks different. It's trying to color it so it looks realistic it's probably also applying a layer of virtual makeup to it. But that's mm-hmm. not really what's happening.
0: What other effects come from this? So the first thing that I saw, and I should add, so um, I just did my YouTube video kind of diving into my first test of the camera. But because of my travel schedule, I wasn't able to get a 10s on launch day. So I don't own one yet. I don't have one full time, and I was borrowing friends. So basically, I had one day of all-day shooting, and all my opinions came from that sort of limited <laughs> amount of time. Which is a little bit frustrating because I want to talk about this camera a lot, um, but I will be getting a phone hopefully next week, so I can't go out and do my own tests. and And one thing I would have loved to see is in brighter lighting situations, what what ends up happening when you, when you do this exact same test? Does it end up having an effect? The samples that you showed in your blog post were from Apple's own promotional photos. And the outside, the outdoors photo had a lot more detail in the skin. And then the indoors photo, you could see really extreme noise removal. And the, the skin looked very, very soft and smooth. And so I'd love to just kind of sit in front of a bright light and gradually turn it up and see what effect that has as I, as I go through it.
1: So, what's really fun to do too is if you check it out yourself, and it's for anyone who's like listening right now and has an iPhone XS, if you just point it at your face and find a direct source of light. And get that angle so it highlights the sort of texture differences in your skin, much like, you know, you kind of dramatically light a landscape, so at a very mm-hmm. very direct angle. You'll see that there is no sort of reduction of detail, but the side that is in the sh- shadow gets the most sort of smooth treatment. So you can kind of see the noise reduction as it starts to affect your face. It's really interesting.
0: Well, and so with all this, I mean, I do think that Apple had absolutely the right intentions here. I think they want to make the best camera they possibly can. But I do have an impression that this creates a much less contrasty photo, like a much flatter photo, which in a way is almost, it hints towards more of like a a raw image almost something like how you would shoot in log for video. You would reduce the contrast when you're capturing and add it back in when you're editing. And then you've preserved all this additional detail. So when I just take my first glance at most iPhone XS photos, and this is front facing and rear facing both cameras, there's a lot more lifted detail in the blacks. It's not as black. The shadows aren't as deep and this lets you see into them a lot, but To have what I think most people have, uh, to reach an expected level of contrast, you kind of need to add it back in now. Otherwise, it retains that slightly flatter look. I don't know. Am I I making any sense? It it, it made me think of video log a little bit, though, although obviously not nearly as flat.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I definitely feel the same way. And while the noise reduction is, you know, obviously sort of a compromise, like you don't want users to see noise. So you have to be pretty heavy handed with it. Uh, I think the sort of HDR erring on the side of a flatter image is also kind of the compromise they, they reached. They figured we can add sort of false contrast after the fact, after we merge all these exposures in the image. Or we can basically say we get a slightly flatter image, but it's worth it because most people edit it anyway. You know, the average user throws
0: three and a half Snapchat filters on a selfie anyway, so why does it even matter? I'd love to know that now. It made me want to run a survey like how, how many of you... I, I guess it's tough because everybody following me is has that kind of photography interest and probably is filtering your images. But in the general public, of everything going on to Instagram, everything going on to Twitter and Facebook, how many of those photos were run through any kind of app first? I don't really... I don't have any sense of how many people are editing photos. Yeah,
1: that's it's a good question. I don't know. But it's, it's probably kind of a, a compromise that was on their mind. And of course, mm-hmm. because this is such a for lack of a better term, such a computational camera, such a camera mm-hmm. that relies so much on that sort of software processing. It'd be interesting to see if they're going to tweak it in the future based on people's feedback and say like, oh, look, people do prefer maybe a slightly more detailed, slightly more contrasty image. Maybe that'll be next year's iPhones look, or maybe even in an update. Yeah, I, I
0: could see them tweaking it a bit, especially just they can they could retain that detail and just give it a slightly more contrasty profile if, if they wanted to. I guess we'll we'll wait and see but for me I mean I'm able to add that back in and I can make things look pretty great. It made me realize though that my typical editing app which is VSEO or Visco doesn't have a way of bringing shadows down. All I can do is add contrast or bring shadows up, but <laughs> there isn't a negative slider. So, uh you know apps like Darkroom or What else is out there that has anything with curves in it? Lightroom could do that as well. Yeah, that's
1: always a little bothersome when it doesn't
0: go the other way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, limitations of the specific apps that I use. But so I actually did a little test just before I came over. Ran into the Apple Store and and shot a photo on my phone and on theirs, and I you know I could see that smoothing effect. And I did notice though that they were shooting at the same shutter speed. Like you're saying, they generally are going to favor higher shutter speeds, which th- there's a lot of interesting effects from that, especially when you just get into normal life, how often the problem with people's photos is that they're completely uh, blurry from motion. But um, in cases where the shutter speed is the same, is there something that you know of that could be accounting for that? Or
1: I don't know. The, the problem, of course, is, especially on the iPhone XS, where the source of truth is for the metadata in that frame. Like If you use the stock camera app, and you take a picture with that, and it's not a raw image. It's probably a combination of at least
0: at least four images. Actually, yeah, no, that's my real question. When there's a shutter speed being listed, but it's using multiple images, what is this? What is the truth of that shutter speed?
1: Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. Maybe if it is the the sort of the median or like whatever it used, sort of as the main image to to use as the base. I guess I, I'm not quite sure. The only thing we can see is. If you take a whole range of different shots, typically that's where the iPhone 10s mm-hmm. ends, uh, ends up compared to the 10, but especially dramatically so with RAW, where the difference was so massive that a comparable RAW shot would just on um, the iPhone 10s have double the ISO value. Yeah,
0: of wow, that's interesting. Any shot in your blog post, you mentioned that you guys are are looking at a solution for that. So if people are shooting RAW in Halide, you are exploring, I think, what you called Smart RAW.
1: Yeah, yeah. so since Apple is calling their HDR feature uh, Smart HDR, we decided to see if we could get anything good out of the XS RAW-wise, because honestly, the way we shipped, uh, we obviously didn't have advanced access to the hardware. Um, We were incredibly astonished to find that RAW photos did not look good. They came out really, really bad compared to the iPhone X. (laughs) The iPhone X has really good RAW files. The, The grain is minimally reduced, like unlike, you know, your digital cameras, which have some noise reduction baked into the RAWs themselves. That you get basically what the sensor sees on the iPhone, but it's still very, very nice. And there's a lot of editing leeway in there.
0: Do you, do you mind if I just ask if w- when that's happening with bigger cameras, because I've seen that happen, but does the removal happen from a profile inside the camera or from, say, Adobe Camera Raw, like my Lightroom software or, you know, whatever I'm editing on the computer? Is it using camera noise reduction or soft or third-party software noise reduction?
1: No, that's that's the camera in that case. So okay. that's the, that was the notorious problem with the several of the A seven series for astrophotography. This quote-unquote star eater problem right. would be that the the signal processor itself, which translates the sensor data into the raw, was eating. Stars, because it had a fairly <laughs> aggressive noise So dramatic. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the plot out of a Star Wars movie, but it was just, a, just an imaging problem where it detected little points in, you know, the black sky, which were the stars you wanted to photograph, but then removed them as noise. Okay. And that is definitely not happening on iPhones. They're very noisy. Right. Especially at higher ISO levels. And 10s files were so noisy Uh, that they were just not really usable and so we had to look at what could we do can we build a sort of set of heuristics to properly expose them because if we went manual with any camera app, say our own or other people's camera apps and dialed in the settings ourselves we got some pretty good results
0: so we knew it was possible we just didn't know how (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but you uh you you may have landed on a solution it's as of this recording i think you it, it hasn't shipped yet but
1: Yes, we're, we're going to ship at the end of the week uh, because today we decided to just get a lot of photographers on board to make sure that every possible setting is covered. You never know if there's some quirky lighting or mm-hmm. a scene that is going to be much, much, much worse. And we want to make sure that we have it tested at least adequately before we put it in people's hands. Because, yeah, that's it's just a really big thing to do. Uh, it's kind of crazy working on an app where if you make a mistake, people can permanently lose what they feel like are really important memories of their lives.
0: Right. Yeah. No, well, it's a, it's an exciting challenge, but I can see how it'd be a big one. But the results that you showed in in the blog post look like it's it's really promising. There was definitely much more visible detail. Um, uh, you know, just kind of more perceived sharpness, more, you know. But, and and what levels of that are just coming from the sensor or is there anything that you guys are doing to preserve that detail or increase the detail?
1: Um, a little bit of a little bit of both, I think. But I, I have to say, like, the, the thing I was most excited about when they announced the new iPhone was not all the software stuff, but when it said, like, it has a bigger sensor. I was like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm there. I want to see what it looks like. I'm yeah. someone who shoots exclusively, well, you know, real stupid snapshots of where my car was parked, maybe not. But all the real photography I do on my iPhone is in RAW. Mm. And I really want to see, like, hey, maybe there's more detail on this. Maybe it'll make a significant difference. And it was really, really cool to see, finally, once we got past the terrible raw file problem
0: that there is just a very significant difference and it looks so 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 good that's really promising i mean because there's a lot of people that i mean even though i was saying i don't happen to shoot raw a lot i think it's a great solution for a lot of people who don't carry around larger cameras as, as often as maybe i do but so i guess what else do you see in this camera aside from Raw effects and the, especially in terms of the sensor, that larger sensor was, and it was an interesting surprise to me. I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention to the, during the keynote, but I, th- I think it wasn't mentioned. Right, like this, I heard about it later on the talk show. John Gerber mentioned it, and I'm like, wait a minute, really? It's 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 thirty percent larger. Is that possible? <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned
1: that because actually today I was just looking, clicking through the. The keynote. And I was following it pretty closely. And I remember when I read John Gruber's first article about it, when he said it was what, 30, 32% larger, I was like, yeah. wait, what? I didn't hear that. And I went through it and he, Phil Schiller does admittedly very quickly kind of in passing mentions, it has a larger sensor. And then he just immediately moves on with all this, like, look at how cool it does. We do all this stuff now. There's trillions of operations on every photo or whatever. And it's, it's remarkable really. It, it's definitely an admission from Apple that they're like, okay, The diminishing returns in hardware are so, so bad now that we really have to focus purely on the software enhancements. And even though the sensor is significantly larger and the lens is better and it's wider and there's all this other cool tech in it, this is really where the battleground is. Mm -hmm. And Talk uh, about burying the lead, but... Yeah, no, absolutely. I found the sensor to be remarkable. It's really, really quite a great improvement. It's great in low light. There's, in the article I posted, I went to a first aid kit show. They're great like, I think, Swedish folk band. Mm -hmm. And I was amazed to see just how good it was at shooting stuff in low light. And of course, some of that goes into this stock camera app where it it applies noise reduction, you get really nice, sharp low light shots. But in RAW, it's really cool to see just how much detail you can get out of it where previous iPhones just
0: couldn't. Yeah, those were your examples that showed the most detail improvement to me, like really a a huge jump. I mean, just night and day, how much you could see because of the I don't know. I guess you tell me why. Because of uh, you know, seems like less noise reduction, less just emphasizing the detail, but still didn't feel too too noisy. It was really really quite nice.
1: Yeah, and coming from someone who like used the iPhone X a lot for raw photography previously, like if I was in a at a concert like that uh and let me assure you that i wasn't just taking photos at the concert i took a few really quick and and then enjoyed the show i hate those people that like have their phone up all the time
0: and it's shaking and you know they're not gonna nobody's gonna watch this ever exactly recording the
1: whole thing you know it's like come on no i just took a few quick snaps but uh, if i were there with my iphone 10 i wouldn't even bother like it's usually the raw is just not really usable and the shots are just not great but on the iPhone XS, I, I'd say it's it's pretty pretty usable. Maybe I will
0: become some one of those really annoying people now. You no, know, and this is what I'm afraid is going to get lost in the the, the fake controversies: is how much how much better this ca- this camera really can be. I mean, thirty percent is a huge increase. I'm really curious how they got a thirty percent larger sensor in there, and it still looks the same, like the lens. If you, if you look really close up to the lens, does it seem like a 30% larger lens to you? I mean, I don't have one in front of me, so I, I can't tell. But like, how, how, is that, how does that work? The
1: camera bump, like the sort of thing that sticks out at the end, is bigger. And that's definitely noticeable uh, if you have them side by side. If you don't have them side by side, you would never guess it. Mm-hmm. And the top camera looks bigger, too. Yeah, that you mentioned, it. it does look slightly larger, but by no means is it
0: something that jumps out at you when you look at it. It's like, whoa, that sense that camera got really big. Right. And do you have a way of comparing the kind of apples to apples, the, the previous and new camera? Like when you're inside of Halide, is there a way to shoot it where you sort of get the... The truth of what the sensor is capable of instead of with with no um like is the raw really giving us the true story or is it always half the story because everything else software is is needs to be taken into account
1: well all all raw files in some way or another are a little massaged uh they're a little processed by the the hardware itself to get a usable result some part of that is Definitely heavier on some cameras than others, and I think on the iPhone it's definitely pretty much a source of truth. It's it's very unfiltered. Like I said, it doesn't have a lot of like noise reduction or anything in it. It doesn't have a lot of other do, things.
0: Do you have a friend joining? <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: sorry, my cat. Oh, it's, hey. okay. it's adorable. So I'd say it's 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 a pretty good way of like looking at what it's capable of. You definitely don't get too much filtering if that's what you right. mean.
0: Well, so what does this mean for the telephoto lens and and sensor uh, on the? iPhone XS, do you know if there's been a change to that sensor as well? Is it also 30% larger or is it just the software changes that are being applied to that one?
1: Well, we can definitely tell that there's a slight change. Um, we were lucky enough we we shipped, so we shipped an update for the new iPhones before the iPhones hit and we have a few people that have advanced access to the new iPhones. In the, in the update there was a feature called Technical Readout mm. uh, which lets you kind of see a screen that that lists the technical specifics of the cameras on board of your iPhone. Mm -hmm. It seems like the ISO range of the telephoto camera changed a little bit. I think it is a tweaked sensor, slightly, which makes sense if they want to pair it so accurately to the wide-angle sensor. They probably have to make a few changes. But it's fairly minimal, and in testing it in RAW, it doesn't seem like the changes are very big. The changes are very significant if you compare it to the uh, iPhone X telephoto in the stock camera app, where it does not get the benefit of all the computational photography backing from all the new hardware.
0: Right. Is the same type of computation being applied to both... For, I, mean, I don't know if you know this, but or is it running through the same process on both the front and rear-facing camera? Because obviously we're getting the extra dynamic range, it is taking more photos, but is it, does it seem to be doing basically the same thing? Like, I don't know, how, how much of improvement did we see on... On both of them. Did they both make a big as big of a jump?
1: Yeah, definitely. When it comes to, for instance, like high dynamic range and such, you you get the same really dramatic improvements on the telephoto as well, which is really cool. This this was a really big issue back when the first two camera iPhone launched, like on the iPhone 7 Plus, they were not that well balanced in terms of white balance. So mm-hmm. when you zoomed in or had a video that kind of went from one lens to the other, you saw a visible pop right. where the white balance suddenly changed. To prevent that, they've since like paired them really well, the sensors, and tuned them, I believe, at some point in one of the videos they mentioned in the factory. They even binned them so they all like match each other's profile and, and sort of characteristics.
0: Right, similar to what they're doing with the, the OLED screens, that there's more custom calibration happening with every single model that ships.
1: Yeah, and, and that definitely shows. And then what they've done with the telephoto in this one as well is they, you, they basically put it through the exact same imaging pipeline that uses the neural engine and that way you just get the same level of dynamic range And so you don't get that jarring sort of shift in dynamic range as soon as you go into the telephoto. All
0: right, yeah, that's cool. What what about um video? Did you that's one thing I regrettably didn't test properly at all. I only looked at the stabilization of the self-facing camera which was really impressive. I I was I didn't expect it to be as strong as it was. Um it added some visible artifacting like I could see that it was happening. But when I was walking, it really took away the shaky cam feel. Totally impressed me. But uh, I, I also heard John Gruber mentioning that the same HDR merging of frames is, is happening live with video as well.
1: Yeah, in fact, that was something which kind of bothered us. <laughs> and we tried to look for a solution for it with our camera app, because we, we just take stills. We're just a still camera. right? But if you're trying to expose your raw shot, and your viewfinder is basically this Hyper HDR mode thing, then that's kind of problematic because a lot of people don't realize this. But it's not just your stills and not just your videos; it is every viewfinder, every camera feed. Anytime you open, look at the camera, Mm. it is already doing that
0: smart HDR stuff. It's already merging exposure. Okay, I can imagine that.
1: So that's 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 really impressive stuff. And yeah, they do it for video too. I myself haven't tested video very much. I don't take a lot of video. But yeah, like I said, the only time I really came across it in a way that was really significant was in our viewfinder.
0: That actually brings something interesting to mind. Did you run into the situation at all where I had one or two examples where it would kind of go HDR crazy? It would really push everything in, into the middle. It would bring the shadows all the way up and the highlights all the way down. And it was something I'd encountered before with the Google Pixel 2 as well. And it's 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 rare. It only happened really strongly once while I was testing. I don't know, am, am I the only one? Is this something to worry about?
1: No, I definitely agree. And it's also something where I'm not entirely happy with all the look of every photo that comes out of the 10s, which sometimes just looks a little, yeah, overly HDR'd, so yep. to speak. It's just, it's a tricky one, right? It's it's really that thing where you build a computer model to, to improve photos. And it's just, it's almost like there's a little... You know, gnome in your in your phone now that's trying to say like, "Hey, look, I made you an HDR." And yeah. like most of the time, the gnome is amazing, but sometimes it's you know you don't want to crush his soul, but you have to tell him like it was good effort,
0: but this is really not what I was looking for. I'm glad that you called it a gnome and not a paperclip. <laughs>
1: Well, we have to see what's if Microsoft will come with the Surface on, and maybe <laughs> yeah. they can bring it back.
0: <laughs> One thing that is kind of interesting too is that the front-facing and rear-facing cameras end up with such different results. Like that, people didn't end up finding the skin smoothing to be an issue, or, or nobody complained about it on the wait, which is front rear on the rear on the rear camera. <laughs> um, yeah, but to, to me, like it had a lot of the similar look to it of being a little bit flatter, you know, the the blacks were lifted, the even the contrast of the colors was a little less defined. So, so this is actually one way to make everybody's skin look better. Just when you're editing is that the difference between like magenta parts of skin and green parts of skin is a lot of what makes skin look unhealthy or like blemishy. And so if you bring those together to be more of a similar color, like more, in towards either the orange or the the skin range of, of the subject that you're shooting, it, it takes out those blemishes. And that's part of what's happening here, too. It's not, I mean, I think, it, is that it's not only the bright and dark contrast that's being removed, or, you know, you were talking about the um, localized, I already forget the word. <laughs>
1: local, local contrast, yeah, yeah, basically like sharpness, yeah.
0: It's not only that, but it's also there's a little less color contrast as well. Anyway, I am seeing that in both cameras. But interestingly, people aren't complaining about it on the rear-facing camera. I think maybe because the overall image is sharper enough, like the sensor is enough larger that it kind of compensates for it. But I think the same thing is happening on both sides. It's just not bothering anybody on the other camera.
1: Yeah, like to put it literal, the signal-to-noise ratio is greater on the back. So you get right. less, less of that sort of pastel noise reduction. And uh, let me tell you, if you want to find it, um, enable Smart HDR on your on your 10s and shoot somewhere with which has harsh shadows and bright light, and then just push shadows 100 in, say, Lightroom, and uh, there's there's your there's your smudging. It's it's kind of right. dramatic, actually. Like you can really see how aggressive it is, noise reducing in the shadows. But you just don't really see it because it's so far into shadows at that point that you don't really are too bothered by it.
0: If I am shooting raw with your camera, am I going to need to do any? noise removal after or is it going to come out uh, more or less safe Um, or is there even a way to do noise removal on the phone i I haven't seen any apps that do that
1: yeah i I, as i said i'm someone who personally doesn't do noise removal i kind of enjoy the grain but Mm -hmm. i think there are a few apps that do it i think lightroom might i know darkroom doesn't it's kind of my go-to um go-to app uh, Lightroom on the desktop does a pretty good job, especially because the iPhone XS noise is a bit more chroma noise, so it has a bit more color noise in it, and it does a pretty pretty good job at getting rid of that if you're
0: looking to filter it. Yeah, out. I wouldn't be surprised if Lightroom did because they are, you know, they're trying to reach parity with the desktop app. Um, you know, they're trying to make sure every f- feature is in there. So uh, whether or not they got there yet, I, you know, I'm sure it will be soon. Yeah. Um, what do you, What do you shoot with for your regular camera? Like, tell me a little bit about your your t- normal life photography too.
1: I really like my Sony A seven R two. It's really beat up at this point, and I'm I'm happy with the images, but not of the experience of using it. Oh <laughs> yes, like,
0: I can I can relate. I had the same camera and sold it recently.
1: <laughs> yeah, so. you probably don't miss the menu experience or the shooting experience very oh, much, but God, no. Yeah. Um. And and I've um. I really got started with. Cannons and like manual focus lenses, and that kind of led me into rangefinders. And so, uh, a couple years ago, I bought a digital Leica, like m am, and that's really my most beloved digital camera. If I if, if I take choice. once I I love it.
0: I love the hell out of it. I, I really feel like leica has been hitting a stride lately. They had a few kind of misses, but I think you kind of came in at a good point too. Uh, <laughs> just the last few years, things have really gotten to to a sweet spot. Now all of a sudden, Leica lenses are the new standard for so many brands. So. Uh, you know, you're you're gonna have plenty of options for um, for not as expensive lenses if you <laughs> if you don't want to go down the Leica route.
1: You can actually see a few touches of, of Leica inspiration in in our camera app. We we try to make it so it's um, as sort of tactile as a real camera, so it it matches some of this gestural interactions you see on a on a regular camera. So, for instance, exposure, you know, there's typically a dial on top of a camera that you can move up and down. Uh, that's how our exposure in our app works you swipe up and down anywhere in the viewfinder and the same thing with like a lens you know you turn the lens focal focus ring left and right for focus that's the same what we have we have like a permanent
0: bar at the bottom to always manually focus stuff i think the way that i heard about you guys was the addition of like the, your first use of the horns inside the iphone uh how you filled it with the what, what's up there there's a histogram on one side and
1: yeah, I and mean, we have I'm an gonna... exposure. Whatever your either your shutter value or your exposure compensation value is is displayed up there, and yeah, yeah. Uh, we even use um, my friend Yelmar. He uh, we commissioned him to do a custom typeface that looks a lot like what those beautiful old manual focus lenses have uh, carved in the barrel. You know these sort of fonts they have as topography on the lens itself to kind of get that same feel and look in there.
0: Ever since there is an app store released for the iPhone iOS is where a lot of the developer attention has started to focus in the whole Apple universe. We're all told about different apps you should download. We started living on our phones a lot more. But you know what? I still get all my real work done on a Mac. Setapp is a service where you can subscribe to dozens of the best independent apps from all across the Mac development ecosystem. For a few bucks a month, you have access to some of the most high-quality Mac applications that are out there, and these are things that I've already been using for years. ChronoSync is the backbone of my whole backup software solution. It's how I keep all of my hard drives in sync, and I've been using it forever. I had already purchased it before I found Setapp, but now with that app, I can just access it on any computer I have. As soon as I log into a new computer, I can just sync all of my apps that I've subscribed to, and they just appear at my fingertips. Or it can also be a great way to discover new apps. So one that I've been using lately is Tracker, which does automatic time tracking across all the applications on your computer so you can kind of get a sense of what you spend your time doing. To get started on your free trial, go to stpp.co slash stallman. And thanks again to SetApp for supporting the podcast. All right, if we could come back around to the 10S a little bit. When when I'm browsing through some of the samples here and and some of the things that Smart HDR does. Uh, it, it's hard for me to figure out in what ways smart HDR is, uh, you know, just a, a branding exercise for Apple and in what ways it's different from the automatic HDR that was added previously. Um, you know, I, I think some huge improvements were already made to automatic HDR. Is this really, are we in a new era of HDR? Is it, is it, compl- do you think this was a rewrite? Do you think it's a whole new world? Like how much has it really changed? Well, what's interesting to see, coming from
1: being a camera developer, we never got HDR, uh, for one. That's something Apple always kept in their app as a proprietary thing. So even if you made a camera app, you wanted to have HDR, you had to build it yourself. Uh, So we get to see pretty closely what's different and what's new. And if you look at the way you turn off HDR on the new iPhones, you can see that it's several steps, so to speak. So if you turn off Smart HDR you'll notice you still get the really HDRE viewfinder and really wide dynamic range when you take photos. It just seems that it loses maybe two to four frames per shot of over and under exposure. So you get a little bit less. I would say the mode that you disable with that little check mark is at all costs prevent highlight clipping (laughs) and shadow clipping at all costs Uh, that little bit goes away, but you still get a lot of exposure merging and a lot of HDR stuff. And then there's a new HDR switch, but if you turn that thing off in your camera app, and if you disable that, then all the HDR is off. So you have to sort of pull one lever and then the other lever to go back to what iPhones were before, I would say like maybe the iPhone 6 used to be, iPhone 6, iPhone 7.
0: Well, it's always something I've struggled to figure out what's going on and then figure out what I should do with it. Because sometimes I would point my camera at a subject and I would have a full frame DSLR beside me and I'd take the photo on on each one. And, and looking at the iPhone, sometimes there's more dynamic range just when I'm looking at the frame, even before I've taken the photo, because um, I'm not sure what's happening in the new ones, but in the older phones, it wouldn't apply the, you know, quote unquote HDR until after you took the photo, you'd usually take the image and then see a bunch of new highlight details suddenly appear. Yep. But even before that happens, just looking through the live viewfinder, I would see, you know, two or three more stops available than what I was getting by default out of a 5D. Um, And that's, you know, before raw processing. I I know I can recover a lot of that detail from a full frame raw image, but just in the moment while I'm taking the photo, I could see so much more coming through. So uh, I guess that is kind of that other level of HDR that you're talking about. There's sort of steps or phases as the camera applies more i don't know i've always struggled to understand what it's what it's doing there
1: yeah previously it was pretty faithful to the viewfinder so the hdr w- would apply on top of what you were seeing in the viewfinder like you mentioned and you saw this really well in live photos right because live photos never got the hdr so the live photo would show this blown out sky and then the moment you reached your final frame where hdr was applied suddenly the sky would get a the detail filled in
0: right do you does it have it now do you know
1: uh, I think so. Yes. Um, because cool. it basically, it never turns off. Wow. Uh, it's possible that's, that it that's gets a little bit less, cool. yeah, it's very, very impressive.
0: Yeah. These are like the subtleties that people are going to miss at first. I, I, Cause even in my time, like I, I wasn't noticing these things as I was using the camera But it's going to be one of those things that once you go back to an older iPhone, all of a sudden it'll be like, wait a minute, (laughs) where did this go? You know, I really noticed it when I was doing self-facing video because um, previously there was no HDR, right? You're just getting straight off the sensor. And when I compared those two shots, uh, I could just see a a world of difference. Like it looked like a completely, I mean, it is a different camera, but it looked like a completely different camera in in a good way. So I think a lot of the stuff we're going to, it, it's hard to notice it right away, but the fact that it's live showing all of these things so much better is it's really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, and it's it's some very impressive engineering. Um, not just, you know, just throwing new silicon at it where they have a, a whole neural engine backing it now. But if you look at the way you have to balance exposure as it's moving around, so if you're moving in from inside to outside or just moving your camera around – that HDR being applied without it looking super weird or jumping around or blinking or anything, it's really, really impressive. And you will never find a break in it. It always looks smooth. It's really,
0: really quite quite well done. Yeah, I'm blown away by it. Um, can you explain to a dummy like me what the neural engine means, really? <laughs> uh, you know, I have, I have a very vague, probably wrong sense of it, but I know that Apple told us it was a lot faster than the iPhone XS. Um, what does it really mean?
1: Um, so a neural engine previously was used, especially for things like the um, the portrait effect. And the reason the portrait effect is so tricky is not just because it's computationally difficult. You've got two images and you have to compare them to kind of see what's close or far away from the camera. You want to kind of train a computer to, s- to know what it's looking at. So in the case of a person, you want to train a computer to say, hey, these are hairs. And hairs have these little micro details. So you want to look for those and make sure you don't cut them all off. Because otherwise, it'll look really strange. Or these are eyeglasses, and make sure the eyeglasses are part of the person as well. Um, they improve that significantly in this, and that type of work is very menial. It's a lot of like really tiny tasks they have to do in parallel, very quickly. So a special chip to do that um, basically immediately improves stuff like that, and optimizing for stuff you see in the frame. So, for instance, an example we had of someone you know, uh, pulling up the selfie camera and uh, it's seeing a face and optimizing for that. Uh, They do that with this sort of neural engine, which can rapidly look at images thousands of times a second, see what it's looking at, and then apply the right sort of adjustments to it to make sure the image comes out really well.
0: Well, And that's something, I I mean, if I can go back a step dumber, I was going to ask about is if the neural engine is dedicated hardware or is it referring to the way that a certain piece of existing hardware is used you know no the, there's is,
1: there really is a big big hunking extra chip on there so you basically have the cpu like we always had the sort of brain the, the calculator of the of the, the the iphone itself the gpu which does all the graphics and now there's a big third
0: chip on there the neural engine and that does all the heavy lifting effectively it's accelerating uh, mach- also machine learning stuff i mean i think that uh yep t- that all taps in there and yep how does that apply to to desktops then like there isn't a neural engine inside my brand new macbook pro um why not and will that ever happen i don't know apple's really good at making
1: their own um chipsets now so they're actually kind of ahead of the leaving the pack i think when it comes to uh computational power in smartphones and it's because they really invested heavily in in producing their own chip designs and i've no doubt that, that that's eventually going to make it to um to the macs too and there is actually probably I think in the very latest MacBooks, there might be a little neural engine in there because it uses the latest chipsets from
0: the iPhone on the T2. yeah yeah. So you do have a little tiny, tiny little neural engine in there. Well, so what happens when you're running your developer simulator? Is it just running the neural engine stuff through the regular CPU or... Okay, now I'm getting into boringly detailed questions. I'm just... I I just like... It's funny when there's these uh, catchphrases that are thrown around so much and I realize how little i understand them even when i'm trying to use them all the time (laughs) do just other processors handle it or
1: i'm not sure exactly how it uh, how xcode does it but typically on on desktop class computers you use a gpu for it because gpus are very good at doing a million little things in parallel which is exactly what you want to do with uh, that kind of stuff so it's probably just getting handed off
0: somewhere all right. Well, that was a really boring detour for, <laughs> but but I'm always curious. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's really easy to just latch on to, to catchphrases or, or branding marketing material and then run with it. I mean, I think that's a lot of the challenge of the reviews that I see right when the phone comes out. Um, especially, um, I always see this disconnect between the YouTube reviews and then, uh, both articles and podcasts, which go so much deeper because, it's really challenging to get all these ideas across in ten minutes. Um, I even find that when I when I say the things in my YouTube videos, when I kind of give my final analysis, sometimes I'll rewind and, and look back at a phrase I used. I'm like, that was that was a really poor choice of words, and it doesn't really <laughs> represent what I meant to say. But it's because there's it's it's you know it's a fluid thing, and there's relatively little time. Versus you know when we have a chance like this to dive a lot deeper into it, we can actually explore the problems properly and have a clearer understanding of what's going on. Yeah, So I feel like so many people will end up just sticking to the marketing term and not going past it.
1: That's definitely true. And I, I do think it's really valuable to, especially with like a new device like this, is looking for kind of a personal take. You know, there's a lot of sort of written reviews and I find those generally fairly dry and uninteresting whenever mm-hmm. a new piece of hardware comes out. Um, but then, yeah, it's the the things where you do a really deep dive where it's it gets interesting. Uh, yeah, give me a
0: four-hour talk show and no, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what I'm having fun. <laughs> the next thing left for us is the 10R, which is still coming soon. Mm-hmm. Right now, we don't. Nobody has one. Something I'm trying to figure out, and uh, you know, I'm sure you don't have any special insight into this, but uh, I know a few people are wondering: Is do you have any sense of why we don't have the same wide-angle portrait mode? available on the 10s as has been previewed on the 10r you know they've shown that they can do single lens um, depth detection which we saw on the google pixel last year Um, i expect it to work very well you know i'm sure they can keep up with what or at least get close to what google was doing but it's it's really weird to me that they would only apply it to the less expensive camera like i want to take a wide-angle portrait why can't i
1: yeah, and I think, considering it's the same sensor, that it would be entirely in the realm of possibility for your iPhone XS to do it as well. Um, in fact, I would go as far as to say that your <laughs> iPhone X would be able to do it as well, because right. we already use the tech that the XR uses in Highlight to make our portraits better. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Uh, and the technology they use is something called PEM, mm-hmm. Portrait Effect Mat. And PEM uses that. Here here it goes again. There's that word, the neural engine, Mm. to generate um, a mat, which is basically a perfect outline of a person in your photo. And note, it only works with people. So you can take really cool portrait mode photos of your dog, or your horseshoe crab, or your whiskey bottle, but you mostly want to use it for people. With the 10R, you will only be able to use it with people. Mm. Until they expand and teach that neural model how to detect what other things are,
0: I'm trying to remember if that was a limitation with Google as well. I, th- I think it may have been, but now I forget because I haven't used that phone for a little while. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I don't think it is anymore. It might have been on launch. I think nowadays you can actually basically let it let it okay. go crazy. Uh, and it's also because it uses, I think, part of the focus pixels or dual pixels. Right.
0: So that's what I, that was my next question with the, with the way that the uh, Google's doing it is the dual pixels are. You know, basically, each pixel is split in half, uh, same as what Canon's doing for its autofocus, and it's comparing the distance between the left and right side of each pixel to create that same 3D map that uh, iPhone is using two lenses for. Um, what is what is the iPhone 10R uh, doing, or or you know, if you say 10S can do it, like they don't have dual pixels, right?
1: Yeah, I don't. I mean, they have focus pixels, uh, so it's pretty likely they would use some part of that. Um, you have to see though, in, if you look at the white papers for the pixel, uh, portrait stuff, the fidelity of the map they have, the depth map is far, far less than what the iPhone, um, 10 and the dual camera iPhones can do. Oh, so it's pretty likely that Apple will be able to create something a little better on the 10 S than they can on the 10 R and they'll just stick to portraits of people. Basically. I, I would be, wouldn't be surprised if that it's what they're
0: right. going to do. Is there anything you can see inside of how the new phones are doing the uh, bokeh in the background? Because I think there's a rewrite of, it looked like it was kind of redone from scratch. The way that blur is generated feels much better to me. I mean, it's, it's getting so much closer to what to real cameras are, which is a very subtle thing and hard to describe. It's hard <laughs> to talk about and not just look at, but is, is that something you were able to test at all? Or were you able to see what they're doing there? Totally. And the,
1: Funny thing was that when uh, iOS 12 was in beta and we were developing our app for what we assumed would be some new iPhones with new camera features, uh, we were s- surprised to see that the bokeh of non 10s phones, like everything, was completely consistently broken. And I remember <laughs> telling Ben, my uh, my partner who works who does the engineering on Highlight, I was like, I bet they're going to announce something with the blur because it's it's just irreparably broken. And I hope they don't ship like mm-hmm. this. They did ship mm-hmm. like that, by the way, we have to make our own blur. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. We have, we have our own now, um, but yes, it is, it is very, very, very much different. They have what definitely is more of a, a lens simulation now. So you mm-hmm. get little aberrations like anastigmatisms that you see in lenses, like the, the Canon 50 millimeter 1.2, where it like kind of rotates the bokeh kind of rotates mm-hmm. towards the edge of the frame. And like, you get this, kind of imperfections baked in it's it's really interesting work
0: they did with it it looks really nice do you uh, shop around for different bokeh looks like now that you guys are designing your own have you been like what's kind of the process of figuring out what your bokeh should look like because it's something that i always just i like it or i don't like it but i don't analyze my lenses very much (laughs) how on earth does that work yeah,
1: it's a lot of analysis, and honestly, a lot of it came down to just feasibility and implementation. Because there's, mm-hmm. um, we have a crazy graph up on our Twitter of like what it looks like um, in terms no, of like the amount of operations, and it is pretty insane. And you can you can toast an egg on an iPhone while it's doing all that. So <laughs> kind of keeping keeping that in check with it looking good was the biggest concern. Apple is just has the luxury of having some of the most brilliant people working on it while getting unparalleled access to the hardware so they can do it without grilling your phone but you have to note that even with all that on launch they don't have the live adjustment of the depth of field yet you can do it after the fact but there's now the first beta of ios 12.1 just hit and that has the live adjustment so they couldn't even get it done in time
0: well, that, I got to say that was the one feature that, you know, they spent a lot of time talking about it, and it was the thing I was least excited about. Can, I, there's all these other things we just talked about that they skimmed over, and I could talk about for an hour. <laughs> Meanwhile, their big headline feature, I'm like, meh, you know, I got I to gotta leave it. The, the The most useful thing to me about the adjustable aperture, or if, you, if that's what you want to call it, is um, being able to turn it down when it didn't work. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> you know, it, it really may look best... Uh, the, what this might do is that a lot more often, um, you could just leave it almost at the minimum, so it's barely doing anything, and then you never notice the mistakes, but you still have somewhat of that effect of just bringing the attention to the subject. I could, I could see that being pretty effective, and, and maybe a, a using that more often. But uh, because previously, you know, I just I never really reached for it because too often I'd get hairs wrong I'd get ears wrong. There's just too many mistakes for me to really accept it.
1: Yeah, I I do have to say it again because I think the iPhone XS, just like our the latest version of our app, uses the portrait map now. It's a lot better. It's a really high res map as opposed to the depth map, so it retains hairs and stuff really well. Kind of crazy, um, but it's it's nice to be able to sort of tone oh, it down.
0: Maybe I missed that. So what what is the difference between the portrait map and depth map? I'm not totally.
1: So imagine the depth map would be kind of like if you were to have a grayscale image of, and anything that's close to is white and anything that's really far away is black and anything in between is shades of gray. Uh, So you could basically create a 3D model of a picture through that because you know what's kind of close, really far away, really close. Mm. Um, And the portrait mat is only a black and white outline of the thing you'd shot. In this case, only a person because that's the only thing it does. But that outline will be really high res. So you will get all little hair details, all that kind of stuff. Like basically... If you were to draw the exact depth of field, the, 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 the subject that you want to have sharp, the edges of that precisely into your photo, that's what the mat is. Got it. Cool. The hairs are remarkable on that. Like we, we were really surprised to find that it can, it picks out actual individual hairs and keeps them sharp. It's really wild.
0: Oh, it sounds great! I got. I mean, I can't wait to get my phone and do and do some more significant testing with this stuff. Because you can
1: you can use it on your iPhone X with um, the latest version of Halide as well. Oh so well, then it.
0: that's what I'm going to do. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, anybody listening that hasn't downloaded Halide already, you should go do it now. And to spell that, it's H A L I D E. Um, you know, I think I switch back and forth between pronouncing Halide and Halide. Is there is there a definitive correct one or do you just go with what feels right
1: there is a definitive correct one because wikipedia told me that it's halide because it's a halogen uh, but i say uh, halide all the time and then there's also people who say halid or halide or halidee uh oh, no, it's, that sounds wrong <laughs> it's all it's all fine i mean uh my My partner, Ben, reminded me that nobody pronounces
0: Porsche right, so as a brand, we shouldn't be too concerned. (laughs) uh, That's that's fair. Um, (laughs) No, but you guys have been doing good things, and uh, I know that everybody that uses the app has enjoyed it. And again, thanks for your work in furthering all of our understanding of how an iPhone works. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Sebastian.